Hello, friends. Welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. I'm Robin Graham, your host, and a brand marketing strategist and photographer passionate about helping women connect and grow their audience and get more clients. I am so excited you are here with me today to chat all about branding, personal development, and life overall in this second phase. What is the second phase? The second phase for me was a change in careers and learning how to navigate a new world and build the business from the ground up when I was actually terrified to put myself out into the world as something new. For some, the second phase is a significant lifestyle change, a traumatic loss, a move, an illness. It could be any number of things. No matter the definition of your second phase, we are here together to learn about creating a brand that stands out and makes an impact and grow as our authentic selves and follow our callings, our passions, our visions, and our values. Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash and let's dive into a new episode. Yvette Walker is a journalist, podcast host, and assistant dean for student affairs and administration at Gaylord College at the University of Oklahoma. In this episode, Yvette shares five tips on how to pitch to a journalist to get your story featured and shares the inside scoop on journalism ethics. We talked about the importance of adhering to values in your work and her calling to start the podcast, Positively Joy. Be sure and check out the show notes because there is a link to Yvette's five steps to choosing joy by building systems and creating spaces to meet with God daily. Yvette is such a joy, and I literally felt like I was talking to Oprah during our entire conversation. We really got into the nitty-gritty about all of the, I guess you could say, political and uproar related to the media this year in 2020. So it was really cool to get her behind the scenes perspective and really, you know, learn like what journalists go through with school in terms of learning ethics and how she teaches her students. I think you're going to enjoy this episode a lot. And I encourage you after you listen to this episode to head over to Positively Joy podcast and listen to my interview on Yvette's show. We had a great conversation there as well. And I think you're going to love her. She's just a gem. She, I literally just wanted to give her a big hug at the end of the interview. But of course, being everything is virtual, I couldn't do that. But anyway, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And please head over to Instagram, join the Facebook group, the Female Entrepreneur Insider, and let me know what your thoughts are on the episode. I would love, love, love to hear from you. And if you really love the episode, also what I would be so, so grateful for is if you left a rating and review on iTunes. If you are confused how to do that or haven't left a rating or review before for a podcast, iTunes does not make it easy. What you need to do is go to the podcast and then scroll all the way down until you see the five stars. When you see the five stars, you click the star that you want to rate the podcast for, and then you choose write a review. After you write the review, you have to hit the submit button. If your iTunes or your Apple account name, username is not your name, be sure and put your name in there so I know who it is or put your Instagram handle and I'll be sure to tag you on Instagram whenever I share the review. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I love having you here. I am forever grateful and 
I'll catch up with you on Instagram, in the Facebook group, or in the next episode. Yvette Walker, welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Robin. You are just a ray of sunshine. You're a delight to have a conversation with, and I'm really excited to share you and your journey and just your mission to infuse joy into other people's lives by sharing your wisdom and your faith. So with that said, I would love for you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself, about your journey from, you know, where you started your career to where you are today. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I definitely am in a second phase, maybe even a third, but I started off, you know, kind of a traditional route as far as going to college for a certain area and my area is journalism. Went that route, you know, didn't go backpacking through Europe like I wanted to because I needed to get my internships in. You know, I was a very traditional student, kind of follow the rules kind of person. And then started off working at newspapers, started off as a police reporter, which is a very common job for young reporters, which I've always found interesting because it's one of the most important jobs at the paper, but yet they give it to the most inexperienced person. But started off doing that and then moved into editing and then moved into management, worked at five or six different newspapers around the country, not because I got fired, but that's just what we tend to do, and ended up coming to Oklahoma in 2006 for a senior newsroom position at the Oklahoman, which is in the capital of Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, and was there for just about 10 years, and then had the opportunity to move into academia as the assistant dean for a journalism college, which is really hard not to turn down, even though I was still very happy in the newsroom. And so that's where I am today. I I am an assistant dean for a journalism college at the University of Oklahoma. But I very recently, this year, in fact, started a podcast called Positively Joy, and it is a faith-based podcast. And so as I said, I mean, I'm certainly still in academia and will plan to do that till I retire, whenever that is. But this is a new endeavor that I'm just loving. And it's a lot of hard work, but I feel like that it's a calling and that I'm supposed to be doing it. So really, really enjoying it. So I just love so many things about your story. I have one question, and this is just naivety on my part, I guess. But when you say newsroom, were you always with the papers or were you ever a broadcast journalist on TV or the radio? No. And that's interesting. Never was broadcast. And I think that, you know, maybe because of some lack of, I mean, I have a lot of confidence. People tell me that, but I felt like maybe that wasn't going to get me where I needed to be. TV news is a very fast paced and competitive industry. And I think for me and my personality, I thought that probably wasn't the best place for me. Although I love to speak and have conversations with people, which is what I do on the podcast. So maybe I should have tried radio, but it's always been print and online. Okay. Yeah. I wondered about that because you have such a beautiful presence. You come across very confident and you just, you radiate joy. So I think you would have had, you know, such a great presence on TV (laughs) or radio, but well, TV more so. But I think it's great that you're using those talents for your podcast and you're sharing so much valuable information. And so I want to talk a little bit about journalism and the media. And as an entrepreneur, when, you know, PR is such a valuable resource and it's basically free marketing because it's giving someone else the opportunity to tell our story, which builds more confidence and trust in what we're doing and who we are. 
So when you were working in journalism, what were the pitches? What were the taglines? What were the things that really made you interested in featuring a story or telling the story of an entrepreneur or a business or a nonprofit? How did they grab your attention? What would you recommend for people, for the listeners to kind of, I guess, adapt as their method for approaching PR opportunities? Oh, yeah. So I'd say they're probably, you know, three or four or maybe five things that you really need to have in your pitch to really stand out. This is in no particular order, I would say. But the first is to try to make this pitch surround a newspaper. Why is the pitch important now? So what, what's happening in the world that it's important for us to tell your story now? And if you can figure that out, I mean, that really goes far into helping a journalist understand why the story is important at this particular time. The other one is to have a good story because most journalists want good stories. We're storytellers. So if you have a story, you want to be featured because of uh, the work that you do, that's great. But you have to have some kind of a story to tell because most journalism is human interest. And so it can't just be And even in the business section, I mean, read the business section today, you know, read the Wall Street Journal. The best stories are about somebody who's interesting or has some kind of interesting background or something. So have a story to tell. Also have good artwork. If you can provide the artwork, especially now, because I would say that many news outlets, they're not blessed with the budgets that they used to have. (laughs) And they're not, well, I guess no one's traveling that much now, but they're not traveling as much. And if you are located outside of their area, they're probably not going to send a photographer. So have good artwork. If you don't have art at all, we call it art, but photos. If you don't have photos, that's a handicap. Mm -hmm, Sure. So have good photos. And I know you know about that because you have great photos. Yes, you're speaking my language. This is why people need personal branding photography, right? (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. So I said some kind of a news peg, a good story to tell, and photos. And then I guess beyond that, answer a lot of the questions that they're going to have already. Like they're going to want to know, okay, well, who can I talk to besides you about this story? Because yes, there will be some media outlets who will do a story just on you. And they won't need to talk to anybody else. But most, and I don't even want to use the word legitimate, but but most credible news sites want to talk to more than just you. So have someone else ready to talk to, maybe your clients or something like that. Have that information readily available for you. Try to anticipate the questions that they will need to do the story. Frankly, the easier you make it for the journalist, probably, I mean, it's and it's not a slam dunk. I can't make a guarantee for you. But the more readily they would be interested, I think, in at least taking a look at you. And then when I talk about the news peg, the news peg doesn't have to be just news. Obviously, we're in the holiday season right now. Tie it to the holidays. Tie it to, you know, even one of those obscure holidays that we see throughout the year, you know, National Pie Day or whatever. I mean, you know, a lot of times media is looking for a bright story. We call it a bright or a fun story. So it doesn't have to be always serious. But of course, it depends on the outlet that you're going for. And I would say the last thing is know your outlet and know who you're talking to. If you're representing, say, a chef or doing work with a chef or whatever, and you know, you're know you not going to pitch a story to the local news editor, 
you're going to either need to go to somebody in business who you know focuses on that area, or you're going to need to go to, you know, the food editor. So know who you're talking to and know what they do. Because if you're pitching a story that they never do, then they're not going to be interested in you at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So what is the best way to find those people? How do you find who to send your pitch to? So in the PR world, and that's not my world, so I actually, I'm not very familiar with this software that I'm going to tell you about, but it exists. There is a, frankly, rather expensive software that's updated every year. I know this because my PR professional friends, and even at the college, we have this for our PR students, basically downloads all the contacts of you know media outlets. PR professionals need to know that, and there's someone who puts that together. It is a pretty expensive, as I understand it, piece of software, and I'm not quite sure of the name of it. People who are listening probably know exactly what I'm talking about. So again, pardon my ignorance. I'm from news. That's not my area, but I know it exists. Beyond that, though, just, you know, old-fashioned shoe leather, just, you know, look, again, you're going to be consuming that website anyway, you know, that news website. So go to their contact page or their about page. A lot of times, some newspapers and quite a few actually, will list the entire newsroom. Not everybody, but I've seen that. So just, you know, go looking. And then if for some reason can't get that information, just call the operator at the outlet and say that you're looking for someone, you know, in the news department or who is the reporter who covers blank. I mean, they'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's, sometimes we get hung up on those little challenges of trying to find the right person, but they're actually not as hard to find if you just use the resources that are at your fingertips. Mm-hmm. And I think too, if you're overwhelmed with PR, you can hire a PR agent and sometimes it's temporary, but I think sometimes it's a really good step in the right direction in terms of getting your name out there. Mm-hmm. But I think just getting, if you have a story or you're involved in an organization, especially if you're a nonprofit, these are really great tips as far as reaching out to share a newsworthy story. I know for me, I'm on the executive board of Face-to-Face Germantown, which is, it's not a homeless shelter, but we serve the marginalized population and we do two meals a day and we have social services, we have legal services, nursing services, all these services to help people transition Mm-hmm. from homelessness into, you know, finding a place to live or having more security and maybe even find a job. So with that, like we're always looking for, you know, news outlets to cover our most recent stories or events or new offerings that we have. So for me, I'm looking at it from that perspective. And I think it is valuable news. What you just told me, I can hear five stories in that. So don't think that you are stuck to just like the one, like, you know, the services you provide around the holidays, the job transition story, that's a whole nother story. I mean, think about what you do mm-hmm. and then think about, you know, you've got this story, this story, this story, all these different kinds of stories. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and I just had this conversation a couple of days ago with my coach, because when I tend to write, I want to tell everybody everything all at once mm-hmm. and just save it all for one thing. But the reality is it's better consumed if we break it down into bite-sized pieces. So to tell a story, even through email marketing, to tell a story in steps like that, or, you know, like I know I talked to a reporter not long ago and she's like, oh my gosh, I'd love to cover that story. I could do a series on that. And I think, you know, when you think of your work as a series or potentially telling multiple stories, it makes it even more appealing. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. And interesting too. Okay. So with that said... 2020 has been like the year of, especially 2020, I should say, I think this has been coming for quite some time, but where the media has just been blasted for 
not being honest, not telling the truth, not telling the full story, being one-sided. I mean, we've heard it all, right? So from, I love the fact that you teach journalism ethics and I would love Mm -hmm. to know your perspective. And this is probably kind of a sensitive subject, but I think it's an important discussion to have. So I would love to have your perspective on that. Like from being in the trenches and covering news stories and working with people who are covering news stories, journalists and photojournalists and the like, what are your thoughts on all of that? And how do you, and we're going to get to your faith journey too, but even from a faith perspective, I mean, ethics are so important, just having integrity, being honest, being moral. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you view that from where you were as a journalist to where you are now teaching that ethics class and how your faith journey has blossomed since you left journalism? Mm. Absolutely. So a little background. So, you know, I worked for newspapers and websites. I've been a reporter. I've been a copy editor. I've been an editor working directly with the reporters. I've been in senior newsroom management where we're working on packages and I'm working with, as you said, with the photographers and with the layout people, the artists and all of that. I've also been an ombudsman. The ombudsman is not as well known because not all newspapers have them or websites. It can also be called the reader's representative, public editor, Reader's Advocate, there's lots of different titles. But the ombudsman is the person who either works directly for the media outlet, but really represents the people and is the voice of the media outlet to explain why the outlet is doing what it's doing. And so I had the fortune of doing that for about three years at the Kansas City Star. So I have that viewpoint of seeing like the decisions that the paper made paper and website, because most papers have both these days, and then either agreeing or disagreeing and trying to explain that to the public. So there's that little piece of it as well. And then now I'm kind of a one-woman show with the Positively Joy podcast, and it's basically just kind of my own thing, and I'm voicing my own thing. But I'm using certainly those credible skills that I picked up, and obviously we don't lie or, you know, we try to be as transparent as possible on the show. So with having said all that, I just like to say that The daily news cycle has increased. In the 1990s, CNN came on the scene and we began to see that 24-hour news cycle. And it wasn't a true 24 hours. I mean, they repeated a lot of stuff. Those of you who are as old as I am might remember that. But now, you know, now it's basically chasing the story, right? Trying to find the story. And while that has been really, really great for mass communication, sometimes it can force us to maybe not spend as much time with the story to, you know, we're always kind of chasing that beast to try to get the next story or the next phase of the story out. And I know that there are many reporters who would like to spend more time on a story, but again, you just don't have time because you have constant deadlines. So that's a challenge. I want to say that because truly I believe, and I've, you know, I've worked in journalism for 30 years and I worked for, as I said, I have to count the Gary Post Tribune, the Dallas Times Herald, the Detroit News, the Austin American Statesman, the Kansas City Star, and the Oklahoman. So that's six newspapers and their various websites. I have never met anyone that tried to deceive or cause intentional malice to anyone. I never have. Do we make mistakes? Absolutely. And that's why we have corrections and clarifications that usually run on page two. So I just want to kind of get that out there. Do we have our own biases? Yeah, because we're human. 
we are, you know, but we are taught to be objective. I teach my students that it's impossible to be truly objective because we're not built that way. I mean, God didn't build us that way. He gave us a mind and we have opinions. However, when we are presenting material to the public, we have to do our best to tell all sides of the story, not just both sides. Sometimes there's more than two sides. Mm -hmm. All sides of the story to try to make it as representative as possible, to talk to people who look like you and who don't look like you. Diversity is actually a form of accuracy. It is not just a, you know, touchy-feely thing. No, it's not. If you're not covering your entire community, then you are not really doing your job as an accurate journalist. So there's lots of things that we have to do. And those of us who went to school for this or trained, it's ingrained into us. We are objective which is why for many years, and I've been, you know, I grew up Catholic and then started going to Episcopalian church and Catholic church kind of at the same time. I'm now going to a non-denominational church and also Episcopalian. So always a believer, but because I was in control of the front page, it was important to me that I didn't show any potential bias. Most journalists will not put up uh, election placards in their yards. We just can't do that. Right. So, we you know, most of us won't go to parades about a certain issue unless we're covering it. Most of us won't do that because we understand that we need, and really you sacrifice a little bit of yourself for the greater good, because we really want people to understand that we're doing our best to try to tell the story in a complete way and as objectively as possible. But you're never going to please anybody. And as an ombudsman, I found that because people were able to call me from 8.30 to 12.30 every day to complain. And that's what they did. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my mornings. Occasionally, people would call and say that they were happy about a story, but the percentage was more on the other side. And so I just did my best to try to explain the process and what we tried to do. And most of the time, because I could see what happened I understood what they were trying to do and I agreed with it. Occasionally I did not. And when I didn't, I would say so. I had a weekly column where I would kind of explain things and and disagree if I did, you know, happen to disagree. So it's a complicated industry. People only see the product. They don't see how the sausage is made. And the ombudsman, or as I said, reader representative, which is what my title was, tries to explain all that. But for the most part, I know people don't care. They just see what they see. But I think it's important to know that journalists really do try. Now, there are, I don't like to say there's partisan media. Well, there is. There's partisan media. Let's let's just say that there is partisan media. I think that most people would agree that Fox News is more conservative and that MSNBC maybe is more left of central. Some people would say, you know, NPR might be more left of central. But I would still argue that the journalists, not the talking heads, not the talk show hosts. The journalists are do as much as they can to be truthful and transparent and accurate. And with Fox News, you even saw, you know, news that was not necessarily pro-administration sometime mm-hmm. because these reporters were, you know, doing their jobs. But the talk show hosts, you know, they have more of an opinion-based, you know, job. And so you might see a little bit more partisanship there. You know, I think this is really important that you're saying this because the talking heads, as you call them, or the show hosts, mm-hmm. 
that's why they're there is because they have built a reputation around the things that they say and they do. And just because they say something doesn't mean that the journalist that did all of the grunt work to get the information and tell the story, that doesn't mean that she or he didn't do their job correctly. So I think that's an important differentiation there that journalists could be in the trenches doing all the work and they hand over the story and it's left to someone else's interpretation or opinion. And there's always been, I think, this lack of understanding between news and opinion, because even in the newspaper, there's the editorial page, which is the pages in the middle of the paper where you have columns and opinion pieces. And then you have the, all the pages around that, which is news or features or sports, but it's still news. And some people don't understand that, you know, the same people don't write those stories. They're completely different departments. And in many cases, kind of like this wall in between those departments, and there should be, because that's opinion, this is news. But a lot of people don't, you know, it's all the same product. That's all they see. Same thing, I think, on talk shows where you have a talk show and then you actually have a news Uh show. And, you know, most people have a difficulty understanding that. And I see why. I see why. Unless you're told this. And so that's why it's important for us to say these things. Yeah, I like this. And certainly in this current administration, but soon to be previous, the message was that journalists were an enemy of the people. And I, you know, no matter how I feel about the administration, I have to say that's a lie. Mm -hmm. That's simply not true. Journalists are not the enemy of the people, which was said, which our leader said that. So I have to disagree with that, no matter how else I feel about the administration, because that's not true. The journalists do their best to try to find information. In fact, we're watchdogs for the people. We try to let people know what's going on. So we just had in my class a lesson about the First Amendment, and the First Amendment has five parts to it. Most people don't know how to access your own rights, okay? So you have freedom of the press, you have freedom of speech, you have freedom of religion, you have freedom to peaceably, that's the important word, peaceably assemble, and then you have freedom to petition the government for grievances. So in most municipalities, you have a right to go and get a copy of the daily police log or court transcripts when they're available or things like that. But the average person doesn't know how to do that. They have no idea how to go do that. So we do that for you. And we try to tell you what happened, you know, today or yesterday. You know, what happened in this court proceeding? What happened in your school board, your planning department, all those things, because those things are important to you in your daily life, but you don't know how to go get that stuff. So really, we're in the watchdog mode. We're not an enemy of the people. I love that you clarified that. And I think it's really important because this kind of circles back to what you were saying earlier about to know who you're pitching to. You know, if you're going to pitch a media source, you have to know them. And if it's someone that doesn't align with your values and your passions and the story that you want to tell, then don't pitch to them. Don't pitch just to be pitching Mm -hmm. and don't consume just to consume. Make sure that what you're consuming and who you're listening to and who you're believing in terms of their opinion, make sure that they align with your values. Otherwise, go to a different source. Oh, I agree. And I always tell my students, either in my intro to media class or in the journalism ethics, if you get nothing else out of the lesson, understand your own values and how you got there. You know, we go through exercises to kind of help them understand and be able to stand on those values, no matter what decisions you make. Because if you stand on those values, your decision making will be a lot easier. Media professionals make decisions every day. And when I say media professionals, 
strategic communication professionals, as well as news professionals. So we have decisions to make, and sometimes they're hard decisions, but if we stand on those values, it's a lot easier for us to not only make them, but also Mm -hmm. explain them. So my brain is going a million miles a minute. I have so many different questions to ask you, but they're all they're probably way too time consuming. And I'm like, I want all the nitty gritty, you know? <laughs> so, so we're going to just kind of shift gears a little bit because I really want to focus now on your podcast and what you're doing now, because it's so beautiful and you put out such beautiful messages and you left one career to start another career. And this led you to an opportunity to follow a calling that you had felt on your heart for a long mm-hmm. time, but weren't able to fulfill because of the roles you previously had. So I would love for you to talk about that and talk about how your faith has grown and how you now have a freedom, I guess, a newfound freedom to share your faith that you previously felt almost stifled, I guess, you know and prevented Mm -hmm. from sharing it? Yeah, well, let me be straight. I can't even say that I was prevented. And my own feelings, if I could go back in time, you know, now knowing what I know, you know, maybe I would have tried to do it. But at the time, again, as I just told you, I wanted to make sure that my audience, the people I'm working for, did not think that in any way, shape or form that I had some kind of agenda that was skewing the decisions I made that, put the news into their hands, right? Right. And that's very respectable. Maybe I overthought it, but no one ever told me I couldn't do it. But I felt that. I felt that morally. Mm -hmm. Okay. I came to Oklahoma in 2006 and religion, I mean, you know, we're in the Bible belt. Religion is very much a part of daily life here. You know, there's a lot of churches here and a lot of church communities and people talk about it pretty freely. And even in the newspaper, I have to say, I will tell you a funny story. So got here in, I want to say, summer of 2006, moved into a neighborhood, you know, really didn't know anybody and tried to figure out what church to go to. So there was a church around the corner. I figured I'll just go there. And I had been at my new job maybe a week. So I go into church and I sit down and I'm looking at the bulletin and I see that the sermon today is going to be from Robbie Trammell, who at that church was deacon. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I know a Robbie Trammell. He works at the paper. That must be a really common name here. Then he walks up to the microphone and gives a sermon. Could have blown me away. I'd never even considered that this journalist who was fairly high up in the newsroom, was a deacon giving a sermon. I mean, just blew me away. And I began to realize at that time, hmm, this is different. (laughs) Uh, This is going to be different here. But it still took me years to finally realize that whatever gifts I have, they were given to me by God, and I was not using them in his honor. So, you know, I write stories and edit them and, you know, help shape packages, and even lecture in my church, even read, you know, the scripture in my church, I would do that, but I would never do more than that. And I thought there must be more I can do. You know, you've given me all these gifts and I'm not perfect or anything, but whatever I have, I know that, you know, my savior's given me. So I went to a conference last year in 2019, that completely opened my heart. It was called Dive, D-I-V-E. And that is put on by musician Rita Springer. Shout out to Rita. She's an amazing singer songwriter. Uh, She's got a new album out, by the way. So I encourage you to follow her. (laughs) And uh, she ran this and that was a week long conference and just, yeah, just completely 
opened me up, unblocked me in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. So when I came home, I was on fire. And I said, I started writing songs. I'd never written songs before. I'm not musical, but I wrote the lyrics. I started writing songs and started working on a devotional that I'm still working on. And then 2020 happened and COVID happened. And I was very blessed to be able to work from home. And I'd always wanted to do a podcast for like, I would say for the last five years and always something got in the way. Something was just too difficult. I couldn't, we even have a podcast studio at the college, but I couldn't figure it out. There was always something. And my idea was to have a podcast about what I like to call the intersection of politics, beauty, and hair. It's a treasure trove to dive into. And maybe one day I'll do that. But God said, yeah, you're going to start a podcast, but nope, it's going to be about joy. And I like to joke that he even gave me the name because Positively Joy is not grammatically correct. It should be joyous, right? Mm -hmm. I know that. I'm a journalist. So clearly he gave me that name because I wouldn't have come up with that myself. But it's such a sweet little name. And so I started with my very first interview was with a Christian who had COVID. And this was earlier on in our season before we really knew, you know, what COVID was all about. And frankly, was still wondering I mean, a lot of people have very serious ramifications from it, but some people don't. And at that time, we really didn't know. Right. So uh, she was dealing with that and we had a great conversation and she had a blog where she was talking about this. And so that was my very first interview. I love doing interview shows. It's probably the journalist in me. I do publish podcast episodes twice a week. The one on Monday is solo. That's my most difficult because I'm not used to going solo. I'm extrovert anyway, but just being a journalist, I love to talk to others. I love Then the Thursday show is an interview show, and that's my favorite. But I am becoming more comfortable in the solo role, and I'm trying to do kind of a combination of encouragement and teaching with that. And that's a new role for me. So I'm really enjoying it. I love it. I love that you have that part of you that's teaching and encouraging because In the world we live in, we need encouragement every single day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm certainly not the only one who does it. A lot of podcasts were birthed this year. Mm -hmm. A lot of podcasts were birthed this year. But I think that's great. And I just think that he is using us. And of course, they're not all faith-based podcasts. A lot of people just birth podcasts. But for those of us who are doing faith-based podcasts, I think he's just using us as you said, to try to encourage people, to try to get his message out there. What I try to do with Positively Joy is basically we say that we look for God in the everyday and we find his joy in the details. And that's just so true. It is so true, guys, really, if you think about it and if you open yourself you know, to him. I would say, and you and I talked about this when we had our conversation about using your faith and values to be the bedrock of what you do in business. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I believe that. I believe that it really infuses all parts of our life. And as I told my students, you know, wake up. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to make sure you leave understanding where you stand. Because it's just too confusing to get through this life without really knowing this is what I stand for. This is what I will do. And this is what I won't do. Mm-hmm. And we are asked to do things in media, Stratcom, as well as news. We are asked to do some things that sometimes we don't want to do or we don't feel comfortable doing. And when we're faced with that, what are you going to do? What decision are you going to make? 
Yeah. And that's tough because, you know, it's funny for a long time, I didn't talk about my faith in my business or anything. And it was because I was afraid if I spoke out, people would not want to work with me or wouldn't want to hire me. And, you know, that starts to weigh on your heart. But I think it's really important to note, like, especially in the situations you could be in as a journalist, you know, we've seen movies about this, like where the journalist doesn't want to write the story or, you know, is doing the story, but it goes against their morals or, you know, whatever. And, you know, if we don't adhere to that, there's that risk that we could lose our job or we could lose clients or someone's going to, you know, put out negative comments or information on us online. And that's scary and that's intimidating. But I think it's really important to remember that if we speak for Jesus, he's going to have our back. God's going to ultimately provide for us. He's not going to leave us in the lurch if we are following his calling and doing his work, right? Mm -hmm. I believe so. And I think that, you know, we talked about, recently I talked in my class about relationships, building relationships and getting sources. And I think that if people know that you are an honorable person and that you have morals and values, then they will talk to you. If people distrust journalists as a whole, if that does happen, but they know you and they know the kind of person you are, then they're going to want to talk to you more so maybe than another journalist. Mm-hmm. And I would probably think that getting business, you know, in PR and advertising and marketing would be the same way. You can talk about a group as a whole, but they're not working with the group as a whole. They're working with you. They're working with one person. If they know they can trust that person, that person has values. And even if they don't completely share the religion, but still the faith and the values, I think that that, to me, it makes a lot of sense. I would want to work with that person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think something you just said is very important to note too, because it comes back full circle to building a personal brand. If you're not working independently as an entrepreneur, as a journalist, but you're working for an organization, you still have a personal brand. And that is what other people think of you. So in order to build those relationships, you really have to show that you have values and that you, you know, you're passionate about what you do, and you're going to make the right decisions, and you're going to serve whoever it is that you're getting the information from and then sharing it with. So I think that's so important that you just said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that personal brand at the end of the day, <laughs> that's what's going to make or break your business or your career. It's true. It's true. And that's new for me, too. I mean, I never really thought about having a personal brand. I mean, I was a reporter. I had a byline and that's just what it was. But now, you know, with the show and, you know, I am obviously the host of the show. And so I'm learning about that and also just trying to cut through the noise. As I said, a lot of podcasts were birthed this year. And I'm really excited that I'm coming up on a milestone at the end of the year. I think I'm going to make it as far as downloads. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, there's a lot of other other things to listen to. And so just trying to figure out how to cut through that. And I think obviously your personal brand is going to help with that. But yeah, it's, it can be challenging, but really, really a lot of fun. Oh, I just love that. I love everything you're doing. I love the messages you put out. I, li- I love your podcast. And I have to tell you, I'm sitting here looking at you and <laughs> it's like I'm talking to Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so many people have said that. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Listeners, you have to go look that up for sure. I swear, she looks like Oprah. She has that persona too. Like you just want to give her a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, Robin. So Yvette, please tell the listeners where they can connect with you, where they can find your podcast and learn more about you and 
and all of the good stuff. Absolutely. So I'll make it really easy for you. Positivelyjoy.com. That's where you can go get everything. But we are on all the podcast platforms. So you know, no matter where you listen, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google platforms, Stitcher. I mean, just all the platforms are all there. But on the website, positivelyjoy.com, you can go and listen to all our past episodes. You can look at our merch, which is fun. I just got a line of merch out. And also a free booklet on basically how to choose joy by figuring out how to carve time out of our busy day to find a way to talk with God. So the booklet, which again is free, just basically tries to break down ways for you to create an atmosphere and to create time to spend time with him. And I call that choosing joy because whenever I do that, whenever I spend time with him, it's always joy. No matter what's going on in the world, I can slow myself down, be still, which is, you know, what the Bible says, which is hard. I don't know about you. You know, last night going to bed, you couldn't go to sleep, brain just going. I mean, it's that's how I am, right? So, you know, just turning off for a little bit and just spending time in his word and how do we do that? So my booklet tells you, you know, five ways to try to create this atmosphere so that you can choose joy. And that's what we're all about. Yeah, that's what you're all about. And I love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing your heart and your soul and so much wisdom with us today. I really enjoyed the conversation. I did too. Thank you so much for having me. And that's a wrap, friends. Thank you so much for listening today. I am grateful to have you here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, will you please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review? That would mean the world to me. It will also help others find the podcast. I really look forward to getting to know my listeners. Will you please connect with me on Instagram? You can find me at the Robin Graham. You can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as Robin Graham. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, the Brand Marketing Insider. Please spread the word about the Second Phase Podcast. Until next time, remember to smile.